What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Rico's Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined today by Gavin from About Time Pieces. How's it going today, Gavin? Very well, Eric. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, you know, we sort of got introduced to each other uh, through Instagram and uh, sort of hanging out in some of the same circles. I know one of the things that I was really interested uh, in when it came to about timepieces was sort of your focus on uh, limited edition watches, limited run watches, unique material watches, and uh, just general like collectible watches. Um and I think that's a really unique niche that's in there. And you sort of built a whole platform around that. So I'm really excited to get into some of that today and mm-hmm. to to hear about your own experiences that sort of led you into having your own platform and what sort of some of that motivation was. And um, just uh, finding out a little bit more about the man behind the brand, as it were. Before we do all that, though, what do you have on the wrist today? I've got a Maxim Sushkov um, unique piece. That is a stunning watch. Is that a black mother of pearl on there? It is a it's a dark mother of pearl with a purple. So it, it goes from gray, purple, green, pink, yellow. That's a stunning watch. Absolutely beautiful. I love what he did with the subseconds on there as well, too. Yeah. So this one we actually I designed it with Maxim, as in I basically said, Can you do this, 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 and this? And between the two of us, we uh thrashed it out. Um, he didn't like some of my ideas. I didn't like some of his ideas. Um, but between us, I think it, it's, it's a cracker, in my opinion. We've even got the wee About Time Pieces logo in, in the top there. Ah, it's a beautiful, beautiful watch. And what was, I guess, like the motivation or the inspiration for that piece? Well, it's funny because I, I did design at college and then I never actually pursued it apart from I'm doing some property designs and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. uh, I've always had that in the back of my mind. And I just love the concept of designing a watch. And doing that from scratch, um, for me, was was a phenomenal experience. And the way that Maxim, uh, I have to put my hand uh, hands up for him and, and say um, uh, he was the best, the best to work with because he, I think he guided without really guiding if you know what i mean because he knew what he could do and he knew what couldn't be done um and obviously making watches every day he knows what visually is going to work and whatnot so i thought that was great you can i'm not i'm not pimping my uh (laughs) site but if you read the journal uh, on our website there is actually a review on it and you can see how we went through the process and um and all that sort of stuff so there's there's a lot more details on there but yeah, that's a, a unique piece, and I was I. You mentioned Instagram there and the community and whatnot. Um, one of the chaps who's based in Austria, he put me in touch. He, he basically had a watch made, um, and he and I chat quite regularly just on the messages, um, and uh, he put me in touch with him. So, uh, thanks, thanks to him. I'm not, a lot of the guys are a bit kind of uh, with not withdrawn, but private if you know what i mean so i don't want to name drop any of these private individuals no that's that's incredible i mean that's such a, a stunning piece and is that the first piece that you've co-designed through about time pieces or what well, is yeah this was this one was actually a part for me personally but i mean he said why not stick the logo on it i thought yeah that'd be pretty cool and from from that point we actually started putting them on the about time pieces exclusive pieces 
because um, as you're probably aware, we do the sort of really small runs, um, five pieces and whatnot. So, um, yeah, so that, that was the first one that uh, that I did actually, because I did one with the chap that you, you've done something with Doobie, haven't you? You did yeah, the, yeah. the uh, collaboration with them. Well, Pierre and I uh, have designed the Taxar watches together. So similar sort of um, idea, like not obviously not quite in the same league as the piece that you have on your wrist, but um, just designing tool watches and then using unique materials on them. So like Cerakoting the cases in unique colors. And then usually we use a, a exotic dial of some kind. So like the first run we did 50 uh, pieces and we did forged carbon and then this latest run that sold out extremely quick we only did 25 we did damascus steel so it was pretty cool that basically like you do the exclusive run of these pieces and then each piece which so they're already limited in nature and then each piece itself is actually a one of one because of how unique the dial patterns are and things like that on each individual piece right so we really enjoy working with kind of those exotic materials just for the the fun that it provides, the the uh, uniqueness it offers the the customer, and then just it's you know we're trying to do things that we don't really get to see ourselves a lot out there, so we're trying to create something new and interesting, and we're having a lot of fun with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I got one of them made as a one off with yellow. Um, mm. It was the first, I think it was the first tax or series. Um, mm -hmm. but I had yellow around the dial instead of the orange. Um, mm -hmm. That was quite fun as well. It wasn't obviously a one-off one-off as in everything was completely bespoke but i can't remember if i did that one first or there's been quite a few different kind of forays into individuality of um something that already exists but this was definitely the first one that i've you know designed and built from from scratch effectively yeah i mean it's such a great uh such a great kind of way to foray into that territory and such a great product to uh to put out there as your first kind of go around i mean there's only nowhere to go but up and uh it's you know to start off at such a strong point to begin with it's extremely exciting to think about what's going to be coming next you know kind of uh going back to more about the roots of what about time pieces is about like can you talk a little bit about like what is about time pieces what is the purpose of it how did it begin what sort of what was your journey that sort of led you to starting about timepieces and what was your motivation behind it? Probably work was the motivation. Basically, <clears throat> I've always loved watches and I've never really uh, really been a collector or anything like that I've, up until maybe four or five years ago. But I've, I've, I'm not from a watch background. Mm -hmm. I'm not from the watch industry. I'm a bit, I've got business sales, um, IT, you know that sort of thing background mm -hmm. so i i've done various things i've worked seven days a week for since i was 23 or something like that and uh, my partner my missus that color uh, who's actually my wife to be is a uh, uh, i've been with her for probably that same longer than that actually 20 oh. 20 odd years wow and she said to me you're working too much you've got to go and find yourself a hobby or do something. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to start writing about watches. And I don't know what motivated me to do that because I think I just recently started looking at Kickstarter of all places and, and I picked up a couple of limited edition watches on, on there. One was a Zerich Trappist one. It's got like a blue 
cage dial. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really quite difficult to read the time, to be fair, and the date's the size of a pinhole, which <laughs> I can't even see, to be fair. But um, that, that was one of them. And also a Jack Mason mm. regatta timer. Now, it was a quartz watch, but the... And, it, you know, it's just a cheap old retail type um, piece, but it just it sort of got me going. I thought, I'll just start writing about watches. So I, I bought a website, and I'm pretty tech savvy, set it up myself, um, and, and basically just, it was a blog. And that's all it was. It was me taking photos from different angles, um, and I basically just uh, started writing about it in that, in that way. And it was pretty irregular. I, I, I did a few sort of sporadic things. But then I, I went to Baselworld in 2000 and it was either 18 or 19. Um, and I, to be fair, I felt like a bit of an imposter because I kind of, not imposter, but an intruder because I didn't know anybody there and I didn't know any of the watches really. But mm -hmm. I managed to almost blag it as you know, a journalist, because I had a blog, it was a real thing. And hey, presto, I'm in meeting all these amazing independent brands. I mean, I've been through the Rolex thing. And and I think most people probably have uh, Omega and, and these types of retail things that are available in retail or not available in retail in many cases these days. But um, I'm just not interested in that. And it probably goes with my kind of semi eccentric type personality in which I'm, I'm not, I don't really follow the crowd. I'm only interested in what I'm interested in mm -hmm. and I like what I like. I'm not led by what the market does or, or what anybody else tells me. I've got my own opinion and that's basically what I do. So I'm having all these meetings, taking these, you know, 100 odd, 200, 300 grand watches and I'm like, wow, this is just phenomenal. I came back, my head was on fire. I had all this content and I was like, right, I'm just going to blitz this so i did a whole load of new reviews based on the content that i created or i'd got in in basel world and then that that's what really probably got me going and then i started investigating right what independent watches are getting in there um and the the kind of unique thing at that point was many of these guys were doing limited editions and unique pieces and that's that's all that they were actually doing and I thought, you know, that's quite a, a unique kind of thing. And then I went to the Watchmakers Club down in, in London a couple of times um, that following year. Um, so so on met a whole bunch of other brands. But going back to Baselworld, there was actually quite a few of these really small independent brands that had no real traction in, like, not other countries, but specifically UK and even more specifically Scotland. And mm -hmm. speaking to them, at that point, they said, why don't you open a shop? You're a watch lover, open a shop. And I'm thinking, I've got an IT business, I've got a property business. That, that, the last thing I need to do is open a retail unit. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness I didn't even do that because obviously COVID came along and trashed everything for the best part of two years. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that was that. And that that's where the seed was kind of planted in my head because it was mentioned by three of these independent brands that I didn't even know who said, could you represent us effectively in a shop in in Edinburgh? Because mm -hmm. that's where I'm based, Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, so that was obviously the seed planted and the, the, the growth is starting to happen. 
Um, a couple of years later, I just kept doing that. So finding watches, I got people to send me watches every now and again. Someone went, yeah, cool. We'll do that. Um, and I'm doing it free of charge. It's obviously, I'm not, I'm not charging anything. Obviously, people like Monochrome and, and, and Revolution and all these big, the big guys, they write about everything. Mm-hmm. So they write about every single watch that's released. I only write about watches I've had in my hands. Mm-hmm. That's it. And they have to be unique pieces and they have to be limited editions. And that's, that's, I've kind of stuck with that all the way along. So, yeah, that, that's where it kind of came from. And then COVID hit. Um, and then I noticed obviously all the shops were shut. And I thought, you know what? This is a good time to go back to the brands and say, hey, what if I did an online only type scenario? So keeping the keeping the blog at that time, I, I called it, I call it the journal now, but effectively it's it's just a WordPress blog. Keeping the content that was in there, and then adding the e-commerce element to it, and the reception was phenomenal. Now, probably ten uh, immediately said, "Let's yeah, amazing, let's do it," because everyone's struggling. Retail's mm-hmm. not working. Mm-hmm. Um, Watches are not uh, not selling. People aren't manufacturing because everywhere's shut. And um, but there's stock still there. So we just I just went to it. So that was July two thousand and twenty. We kind of started, but of course I'm running a an IT company that um, is effectively the biggest education collaboration platform um, in the Western world. So um, that had to be done in my own time. And at that time, our service was getting hammered. It grew 600% in three months. So it was a stupid time probably to make the decision to do it, but I did it. I mean, as I said to you before, I'm not scared of work seven days a week um, and that's all good. So it took a good, so that was July we started. It launched in November of that year. and it was at that point, it was just the shop. Um, and it was a wee bit clunky, but it was effectively the the window to see these brands. Um, there was, as I said, there was probably 10 who immediately went, let's go. There's all the units. There's a price list. Right, let's get this going. And then there was probably another 10 to 15 that said, love the idea, but they were too scared. Mm. you know change this is frightening mm-hmm. and that, you doing your your podcast and whatnot you've probably met a lot of the, the swiss watchmakers and i'm sort of generalizing here but things do take a little bit longer um things don't move quickly in switzerland yeah so that that's one thing but also there's a lot of the you know the the artisan types um uh very creative and whatnot mm-hmm. but they don't want to change the way they do things and mm-hmm. I, I respect that so there's no hard selling for me. It's basically, if you want to come on board, let's do it. If you don't want mm-hmm. to come on board, then cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll come back in two years or whatever. So that's my my attitude is just take it easy um, and, and and make things make things happen. So that's really the the backstory I have since we we reskinned the website. So we did a full refresh. Um when would that be? Probably early 2022 Mm -hmm. so 
So we we kept the, a similar design, same colours and whatnot, but we just sped it up, put some security on the back end because we were getting quite a new, quite a lot of high end watches, and we're getting a lot of kind of spam emails and people trying to get us to do whatever. It's the usual dodgers that are out there trying to make their coin in mm -hmm. uh, in ways that most people probably don't even think of. But yeah. So one of the things that like you you mentioned kind of early on when you were really starting to kind of figure out what about timepiece was going to be all about was the focus exclusively on limited editions and unique pieces. And if you can go back to that a little bit and just expand on why that was important to you. Like I know you, you talked about, you referenced some of the other uh, larger publications, how they talk about everything. Um, why was it so important for you to talk, to discuss that specific niche? Is that because of your own passion for timepieces that focus on that? Or was it that you um, recognized it as sort of a gap in watch publications? Or was it just yeah. kind of where your comfort zone was? I don't think I had a comfort zone. As I said, I felt a bit of a uh, intruder in, in mm -hmm. the whole sector. I don't feel so much now, but um, because I've kind of know a lot of people and seem to be you know getting out there which is good but in response to your question i i think it's both okay i'm really interested in that niche um not necessarily at the moment now i'm, I'm kind of curtailed my watch buying <laughs> sort of adventure because there's so many different things out there so i'm kind yeah. of like i'm only going to buy number one of a run if I can get it, which is probably narrows it down considerably or a unique piece. Right. Um, and uh, that's me now. But going back to where, where I was before, I, it was really just a, a gap. I saw it as a gap because it, it, it probably does two things. It probably alienates me from 90, maybe more percent of the watch market because people are like, what's that? Mm -hmm. What? what what's that? Never heard of that. It's not a whatever retail you can buy down the shops or whatever. Um, and then the, it just seems, it just seems like it, it has to be uh, over time. If you can, if I can be that person that only does that introduces people to these brands that they've never heard of before. I mean, you, you mentioned Instagram, you know what, I'm doing today is Friday. Even for you, although it's three AM, it's it's Friday already. Yes. But um, yeah, follower Friday, mm -hmm. and the the thought process behind that was to help people. I mean, I don't make any money on that. Mm -hmm. I'm advertising effectively other people's gear. Yeah. I don't, but this is to help people mm -hmm. see what else is out there. That's mm -hmm. the reason behind there. So. I think one, one of our chats when we were first introduced um, was uh, about me doing different stuff and and not people noticing that it's I'm not chasing the coin. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not for me. Yeah, money comes as a side to to what's happening, and I'm passionate about this. So why can't I just help other people? So that's effectively what I'm doing.
Well, I think that that's an important point, right? I mean, I think especially in this space, like this space tends to really reward the people and the platforms that people can tell it's 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 about passion, right? And it's it's people driven. Like that's always been, you know, a large element of my own show as well, too. Is like it's no secret I don't really make make money doing this, right? I mean, occasionally you get a little bit here and there, but nothing nothing worth quitting my job over or anything like that. And but it's it's ex- exactly like you said, it's about bringing creating a platform to bring people to new ideas new information uh entertainment and and new brands and just creating kind of you know a, an equal playing field for everyone to come and check things out and i think that that's one of the really interesting and unique things that about time pieces does right i mean you have these hyper exclusive um unique pieces that you talk about but then you also incorporate your followers and you incorporate the community and you know you could have you know, in one post, you can have like a $60,000 piece unique or a $600,000 piece unique. And then in the next post, you have someone's $800, whatever micro brand watch that, you know, was maybe a limited run or something. And and that's, that's it. And that's sort of one of the, the really cool things that drew me to what you're doing is that it, it reminded me a lot of um, sort of what my mission and what my dream was with Rico's Watches podcast. And just, I think that that's so incredible to see other people doing that as well, too. Yeah. And I mean, what is social media without the social element? Right. You see people, it sort of frustrates me slightly because you can be scrolling through Instagram. I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram and mm. thankfully um, my other half does our marketing. So mm. uh, she does all the, you know, creative and, and, Instagram, the arduous tasks, I would call it, because I I just can't be bothered scrolling and scrolling. But when I do spend some time looking, you often see the same photos. It's always the same stuff. um, Mm. And it's just regurgitated. And and, and the the people that are... So we've got, what, 11,000, coming up for 11,000 followers. But our our, uh, sort of engagement on the posts... Is very low. Mm. Although, if you post uh, a a well known brand or mm. one that is in the press as being maybe a bit special or something like that, and there's a lot of noise about it, we might get a lot of uh, comments. And I find that really interesting because I know a lot of the community guys who are big collectors, and they're I know what they like. Mm-hmm. Um, but they might not comment. It's almost like that thing that I mentioned about Rolex and, and Omega. It's mm-hmm. like these are the back to buy brands. Um, everybody knows them and all that. And I know the majority of people who get into watches maybe start there um, because well, it's easy access. It's, easy it's interesting. Access. It's an interesting point you've mentioned because it's the kind of I've seen the same thing where it's like you know I can post. Um, even just when I do my episode posts or I'm just kind of posting a wrist shot of maybe like a, a lesser known piece or like if I post, for example, like my ocean crawler, right? I think I sent it to you before my meteorite dial yeah. ocean crawler, um, you know, I'll get maybe a hundred likes, right? And then, you know, the algorithm starts to dip a little bit and whatever. And it's like, okay, time to post a picture of my tutor because I know that'll get 300 likes, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like it's, it's stuff like that where you kind of got to play the game a little bit with with uh, the algorithm to kind of, you know, get more eyes on your page and things like that. But I think it sort of sucks some of the fun out of it because you're right. I mean, you scroll through Instagram, you're going to see the same 10 watches, right? Like 99% of collectors have the same variation 
there within of the same brands and watches because it's all marketing, right? And I think giving these uh, unique brands, these independent brands, these micro brands, a platform where they can market or they can show their stuff. And it's sort of a one-stop shop for someone who's interested in that is something that's so incredible with, with about timepieces. You, you, you kind of talked about like, you know, the history and sort of what it is now. But my understanding is, is there's a lot of development and change coming into the future for about timepieces. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, I mean, we we are effectively running about timepieces through, and this is probably part, it goes part of the history. It goes hand in hand with that because we, um, so my uh, wife uh, it has been in events mm. for, for years and obviously she was uh, working a really well-paid job and, and that and then decided she was going to just go for it, going to mm. do events, start a company and, and do it. Um, and then the f- it was probably a few months later we became pregnant with it with our daughter. Mm. So immediately that was put on ice. Um, and then just as she was coming back to think about, you know, relaunching the business and doing that, literally that was January of 2020 would have been eh? the COVID year. I think yeah, twenty twenty or twenty twenty, mm. whichever year it was. But um, and yeah. then two months later, boom, everything shut. <laughs> mm. So we we had that the company was just sitting there six zero events limited. That was the name of the company, and uh, we decided when when we decided to commercialize about timepieces, we we just put it through that company because it was just sitting there doing doing nothing. Um, I've gone off on a tangent here, and I can't remember where you were. You were taking me. You you were taking me to where where. So events. That's one thing that we we want to do. Okay. Um, localized events. Um, bringing in. Initially, we were thinking about just doing meetups, so mm-hmm. local watch collectors. Um, uh, and and then effectively being able to create an audience almost would mean we could then create a bigger crowd in order to bring brands over to Edinburgh and, and showcase what they're doing. The problem we've got at the moment, and it's not really a problem, it's just a, something that I've noticed is the watches that we've sold, we've only sold two watches in the UK. Okay. So, your, so your audience is, is more uh, broader international. Correct. So we've shipped watches to West Coast, East Coast states, Canada, um, various countries in Europe, Singapore, uh, Dubai, uh, Indonesia. Yeah. So our our uh, audience is clearly a global audience. Mm-hmm. My fear is not fear. I'm slightly concerned if we invite a brand over at Edinburgh, we can't get the punters in the door, and it's mm-hmm. going to be, you know. So what I was thinking was. Just get get a meet up, see if we can get 20, 30 folk in the room for the first one and see if that grows, you know, for a while and then uh, then introduce the brands and stuff like that. But we've got a few contacts in supercars and stuff like that um, locally as well. And we've Natalie's talked about, you know, potentially doing um, some sort of event where there's a crossover there. And I think that, that might work quite well. Mm-hmm. So events. 
Sorry, you were gonna. So are you trying? Are you trying to sort of turn it into like an enthusiast group, or kind of something more like a, like a show, um, like a trade show, for example, like sort of. Like no, 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 like... nothing. No, 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 nothing that big. It more of a. I'm trying, I'm trying to create an ecosystem, right? A community mm-hmm. where everybody knows that whatever they need to do with watches, they can come and and speak speak to me or speak to whoever's working with me at that time. Because as I said to you, it's not all about making that immediate money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about helping people, giving people the opportunity to see all these different things. And if we can have a meetup, um, I'm sure there'll be some interesting pieces on the wrists for a start. And often at these places, um, you'll get a watch roll full of some other interesting things. Mm-hmm. Some of them might be commercial, but hey, that's not that's not an issue for me. I don't really that that's your thing, and a lot of people like that. So it's just about connecting people as well, because Scotland's a funny place. Um, it's especially Edinburgh is more conservative than than Glasgow, for for instance, and it and people are quite introverted, and you probably find that. So Edinburgh is the se- second wealthiest city in the UK after London. And um, the reason for that is because the Scottish banking system is based here and a lot of the London people who get fed up of the city end up moving to Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's a lot of very wealthy... Um, I mean, there's areas in Edinburgh where you can't find a house under a million pounds. So it's... It, it's um, yeah. I think my point there is that people don't really showcase what they've got. But if they know they're in a room full of other enthusiasts, I'm sure they will. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see Rolexes and whatnot all over the place here. Right. Um, but one thing that you don't notice is you don't see a guy walking down the street with a Jacob and Co. or a, a Moser or, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The reason being it's probably tucked under his shirt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, maybe it's I'm just not in the right places, but I certainly being in business and, and industry and whatnot, I've not seen any independent watches in business meetings, I don't think ever. So you've kind of chatted a little bit about like what some of the immediate goals that you're looking to develop are. What is sort of like the long-term vision for about timepieces? What would you like to see it become in the grand scheme of things, whether it's five years, 10 years from now? Like what's sort of going to be the enduring um, ecosystem as you described uh once it's sort of up and running what's that going to look like probably similar to what it is i don't really i mean i don't really want it to change as much as it becoming a a global dominant corporate because you kind of lose the the personality within that and the the approachability, uh, I feel, it would be nice to be selling watches every single day. Mm-hmm. You know that would be the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but with doing that, is it possible to keep the personal personal touch? I guess, like, are you looking to eventually kind of turn this into like? Is the focus going to be sort of on the selling of the watches or on the content creation, the set, the the writing? 
of articles, um, all of the above. being a reviewer, a, I think the, yeah, a publication I think the, of some kind, like almost like a Fratello watches type thing. Is that kind of yeah, the direction? No, I, I don't, I don't really want to change direction, and I, I'm not actually going in a specific direction. I'm just going like that. I'm like mm. an army with everybody coming together effectively, mm. because the ecosystem is basically all it all works hand in hand and i think for me because i'm passionate about it and i'm not i don't do like cash flow forecasts on this you know mm -hmm. this isn't really a business this is something i'm doing for fun mm -hmm. so it is a business of course it's a business but in in in, in a business sense coming from a corporate world this business doesn't make sense because mm -hmm. You can't really forecast people's uh, people's own passion mm -hmm. to buy watches, and everything we're selling is a tiny little niche of people that are actually going to come and buy them. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we made that decision to do that, but with that, we want to keep telling people about what's happening out there. So. The, the journal side, we're going to keep doing that, the content. Content's more difficult for me, if I'm honest, because I've, I'm busy doing a lot of stuff. And <clears throat> so what I would like to be doing is releasing uh, an article, at least an article a week in the journal. Mm -hmm. New stuff, interesting, you know, a lot of new content and stuff like that. And then on top of that, we've just started the YouTube videos, um, which is me again. So I'm, I'm doing the creative content. So what needs to happen is I need to find somebody else to do probably the writing side if I want to still do the, the be the face of it. But this is all, as I said to you, I'm not running this like a business. This is a hobby. Mm. We're not making shitloads of cash. We're not making, um, you know, we don't have huge marketing budgets. So what we're doing is I'm trying to drive it with my personality and passion forward in order to, to see where it goes effectively. I don't want it to be a magazine. Um, I, you know, it would be great if we were selling watches every single day, as I said, but do we want to be watches in Switzerland? You know, that big, huge mammoth mm. beast making millions and millions. Um, uh, I don't think, it, I don't think I want to do that. And I've still stuck to my guns on the USP being limited editions and unique pieces. And that effectively is going to limit the possibilities of that happening anyway. So what I'd like to do is be the place to go to that everybody knows. If they want to know something about something, they can come. And whether that information is available on the website, uh, in a journal or, or somewhere else. I mean, we've got the glossary the watch glossary on the website as well, which is, um, you know, everything to do with watches, which may people may or may not find useful. But that we don't charge for that. We could set up a subscription if, if we wanted. We could just charge for ten dollars a month or whatever, and give them content or start setting up subscriptions for our exclusive pieces. We could say, hey, we're going to give you the opportunity to buy, um. X number of watches a year, say four, a watch a quarter. Um, you pay us five grand a year and you'll get first dibs on that. Yeah. But 
I mean, I've maybe probably given somebody an idea there, but, <laughs> but it's uh, it's not, you know, these are the kind of ideas that always go through my head as a businessman, but I don't really want to commoditize what we're doing. I want to make it available. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, do you think that that like attitude that you have towards it and sort of um, like that just like the passion driven and the availability and just wanting to kind of create something that benefits the enthusiast in the niche. Is that, what do you think like would be responsible or what has sort of led to the success that you've had with it up to this point? Like, what do you think drives this audience and success that you have? Like the over 11,000 people that are loving your content and in following you and engaging with it. Like, what would you say if you could boil it down is essentially what has led to the success of about time pieces up to this point. I couldn't tell you. I, could, I just couldn't tell you because I don't see what other people see. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on, on the rail tracks heading forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, right at the very beginning, at the very, very beginning when I started the Instagram page, and this was before any of the commercialization. This was before anything. I, uh, in my head, I made a deal with myself that I wasn't going to post the same watch twice. Mm. And the first time I did that was when we did the um, we did the green Dornbluth mm. um, ceramic dial release. So we did five pieces with Dornbluth and some. Um, which sold out nicely. And uh, yeah, that was the first time that I ever posted the same watch more than once. Mm. And that was because I was trying to sell the watches. So that's a, it kind of goes against my own ethical approach almost because I've flipped from giving people information to wanting to sell the watches. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now that's the whole purpose of what business is. You need to sell shit to make money and, mm-hmm. and that's what keeps things going. But in my head, I thought I've kind of broken my own rule. And since then, I've broken it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But the content that I do on a... So I started off doing an evening post of, an, of a watch, which was a limited edition or unique piece. And it was a new release within a period of a couple of months or whatever. And some nights I would I would be searching and searching and searching. I just couldn't find a new watch. And then all of a sudden I'd find one. But it sometimes took me like an hour or more to find a watch to post that was in our niche. And when I look back now, I think, what was motivating me to do that? Because I don't, I didn't make any money on it. I was working probably night, maybe 70 to 90 hours a week, but I was still taking time every night to find a watch to post. Mm. Um, and then after after that, when we started doing the, um, when we, we commercialized it a little bit and, and brought the shop out, I still do, I still did and I still do the evening post, which is exactly that. I do a new mm. watch that I've never posted before. Um, and it is a unique piece or a limited edition. Um, it might not be from an independent brand, but I mean, there's, you you know, you follow our page, we've got Seiko and Tudor and 
and all that, but it's always a limited edition and always a, or a unique piece. Mm. Um, and then added into the mix, now we started doing uh, like daytime posts on a schedule for the brands that we represent on in the shop. So Nat- Natalie always says to me, well, "Why do you why do you still do the daily post on?" You know, watches that we might not sell or or um, that have no real. They don't. The only interest is my interest, but there's no real business interest to it. Um, and I and I always go back to that one thing, which was I used to do that right at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I never, I've never stopped. I always do the same thing every night. Look for a watch, write it up, and I don't. There's probably been. If you look through, if you follow the, the Instagram date by date by date, there's probably only been perhaps a handful, maybe 10 days I've missed in the last four years, hmm. five years. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I must be mental. That's what it is. Eh? Well, it's, it's that consistency, right? I mean, it's one of those things like with business, it's just for a long time, it's just waking up and doing the same thing over and over again, right? You just need to have that consistency to to create success, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that's an important thing and it keeps you tied to the origins of where this all began. And it also is something that people have come to expect that are your followers and supporters, right? So you want to be able to maintain that consistency as well in, you know, the, the content that they're being uh, given and, and what you're, the, the product that you're putting out essentially, right? You know, so what do is, you actually read? Do you actually read the text? Because I've always wondered if people actually read the text underneath the images. If it's an image that I'm interested in, if it's a piece I'm interested in, absolutely, yeah, for sure. I think it's I think that's one part of the fun is like you know getting to learn about it, and you know sometimes when you get to see something cool, like what again, what's something that's really interesting about what you do focusing on independence is you get to see a lot of stuff you haven't seen before. Right. So then for me being in, in the watch space and a content creator in the watch space, like I want to learn more as I go, because it's like, Hey, maybe this is a company I'd want to chat with. It's just good to be, get some familiar familiarity with this brand or what they're doing. So I see a lot of value in what you do. And, and you know, there's a lot of other, um, like I'm a, I'm a history nerd, right? So like, I love reading about uh, history. I love reading about things like that so providing some context around the item itself is something that i find a lot of value in um Mm -hmm. same thing with like a lot of like you know the people like watches of espionage and things like that for example right like when you see a page like that and they make a post and you have the cool pictures but then you get sort of a story to read with it i think i think that that provides a lot of value to people so i think it just depends um you know if i'm in a hurry or something like that and i just want to look at a cool picture i'll just look at the picture if i have time or i'm interested in kind of learning more then it's there it's nice to have the option there to be able to explore that further if that's something that i want to do um how do you pick i guess like because with regards to the shop like how do you pick the brands that you work with how does that work is it just are you just approaching them are they approaching you how do you sort of secure these limited runs or these limited pieces that you you release to the shop how does that happen so the the sort of stance i'm calling it standard stock but the the majority of the the watches that are available on the shop are limited runs but they're maybe not highly limited okay maybe be you know eight i mean 18 pieces or 
there's some less and there's a lot that are more. Um, the brands that we represent there, um, many of them joined us at the very beginning. Um, mm. When we first approached them and said, do you want to come on this journey with us? We've had probably about seven brands that joined us at the beginning, but then have changed their own um, route to market because of their success, probably. Mm. So they only... Um, they'll only sell through retailers, physical retailers, and slash or only sell through people who will hold stock. Um, so the market seems to be changing a little bit. Um, and we've kind of, as I said, we've come and gone with a, a few brands, and then we've actually had one brand actually come back on again. Um I am, I mean, Basel World next week, not Basel World next week, Watches and Wonders next week, mm-hmm. which I'll be at for the week. Um, and that's an excellent opportunity, not only for content, but to meet brands that I haven't met before. And there's always, I've always got my commercial head on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like, I'm going there for content. That's the purpose of the visit. But a lot of the guys you meet, they're like, oh, I noticed you do that. Or, you know, you know, oh, you've got a shop and how's things going, blah, blah, blah. And that might turn into a two, three, six, nine month conversation, which mm-hmm. if eventually ends up in us partnering up and doing that. So there's that side of it. But then there's also the exclusive piece side, which we're having a lot of discussions right now with various different brands and we're at different stages of, sort of design and, and, and all that. So that we'll hopefully be getting something, at least one this year, if not, I'm hoping probably two or three. But as as we talked about, things don't happen overly quickly um, in the watch industry. And also there's, there's been quite a lot of um, supply issues um, in the, the supply chain and also a shortage of watchmakers as far as I understand it as well. So things aren't too easy out there. Um, but going back to Dornbluth, they didn't. So they didn't have any unique pieces that were, or sorry, limited editions that were specifically available from stock. Um, but they, <coughs> excuse me, they were, they were kind of like, oh yeah, that, that's a good idea. We'll go with that. And I was like, wow, that was uh, so easy. Well, there wasn't even a, a fight to to try and convince them or anything. It was like, yeah, well, let's just do that. So that was that was five pieces, um, exclusively available through us. Um, the green ceramic dial, and uh, the green ostrich strap, and we discussed the design, and and uh, it came out. And and as I said, they sold. Then I spoke with so Frank Frank Debarry, um. No, it was actually Chopin. So um, Michael Dunnan, who owns Chopin and uh, Bloney Watches, um, really nice guy. He he was initially having, I think he, he's got other businesses as well. And uh, we were talking about various bits and bobs. And, and he said, how about we, we take the Chopin sort of design and, and uh, just change up a little bit so it's not too too expensive to to make the change or having to re 
machine things or anything like that. And and so that was the next one that we had. That one was available. It's a unique piece. Red, it's got red barrels. Um, apart from that, it's the same as the other ones, but something a little bit different. Then we went on to Frank Dubarry. Um, I spoke to his agent, effectively, who I was introduced to via one of the UK um, distributors. And uh, they they didn't want us to sell the, or advertise any of their existing product on on the website available for sale. But they said, yeah, well, why don't we just do, we'll just make another one. So we went with them, did a redesign um, and another five piece release. There's some available of them. That's an interesting one because they're, they're changing their, their whole, um, the way that they deal with or, or do business effectively. And they've also had a few new releases and things like that. And unfortunately the crazy wheel was available on some of these sort of low price discount sites and stuff like that. And I think that puts people off paying full price when they could effectively get old, old stock for, you know, half the price or whatever. It's a bit frustrating, but we are where we are. And, uh, and then we went to Morris Grossman, who I've known the chap in the UK um, for, for quite a while. And uh, we had a chat and I was thinking about getting one made, getting one made for myself um, and then sorry uh, I was thinking about getting one made for myself and we chatted for probably three or four months about this design um, and then we decided why don't we just do a, an about time pieces release so that's solid rose gold case and um, butterfly clasp all rose gold the brown sunbrush style mm. um, and it's even got 18 karat rose gold hands which have been like handcrafted from a tiny little cylinder of um, rose gold which is absolutely amazing I mean we weren't sure if that was even going to be doable but uh, it, it was so that's an absolutely stunning watch but at a much higher price point I think it's mm. around about 40,000 40, pounds which would be what 50 K your money ish. Oh no, that's like eighty K Canadian. So oh, is it eighty? Is it double now? I never even realized that. We're we're basically operating on the peso at this point. So it's uh, <laughs> we uh, our money's not worth a whole lot compared to the pound. So I mean that's that's a very expensive timepiece. But I guess mm. like so like is so obviously there's the brands that were initially supportive of you when you kind of went on this venture with about timepieces is a, a lot of the brands that you work with are they also um brands that you are passionate about in your own collections like if we move away from the business side a little bit and focus on a little bit with you as a collector and an individual like what brands are you really interested in in your own collection the ones that can't afford well that's all of us i suppose <laughs> yeah no I, i've been drawn to so initially it was just uh something different and then it kind of when i started getting into the the sort of more of the inner workings of the industry and stuff i was more looking for without going crazy on budget um something a bit different and the first the first really interesting one was a unique piece i got made with uh, the dutch brand ketelars i don't know if you're you're aware of them but 
I've he's heard of him. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I contacted Stefan um, and said, "Would you be up for it?" Um, mm-hmm. And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do it." So that's a it's a terror. Sorry, I'm I'm terrible with names and show me a face or a, an image and I'll I'll know it, I'll recognise it, but I can't remember the, the actual it was terror something and it's on our website as well in the journal. But it was effectively the whole thing was um a champagne a champagne coloured dial with mm. a little sub dial which was the time and our world um a little world 3D globe which mm. moves as the daytime effectively with the time uh, and uh, had a hand hammered base dial um, and this was all stuff that we talked about to get mm-hmm. done. So that was before now, um, I don't know if he's taking orders now but I did hear he, he put a hold on orders um, <clears throat> I think it was the tail end of last year and I don't know if he's picked them up again so I, I don't want to be accused of starting rumours or anything like that but um, at that time he was obviously just trying to get going uh, and I spotted this and I thought this guy's going to be this is something different this is something special I just saw that this was it um, so that was the first kind of artisan type watch that I bought for myself mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, Pekulik is another one Felipe Pekulik who did a couple of watches for for me, um, and he. When would that be? I think that was during lockdown, or just yeah. So that I, I beat the, I just when I saw the the finishing on what he was doing, I just was gobsmacked that he was doing it for the price he was doing it, um, and yeah. So I've got a unique unique piece of one of them. It's got a blue. It was a Stern and Himmel bright blue dial, which was um, the inspiration was a, a photo of a night sky, mm. uh, and it was you got almost exactly. It doesn't even look like it should be a night sky because it's like bright blue, but it was uh, a photo with a of a, a huge moon and a bright blue and, and starry. So yeah, and then we've, I've got the a couple of Russians. So the Maxim Sushkov and uh, there's a YouTube review coming of. I'm just gonna call him Rashid because I can't even pronounce his his full name. And uh, yeah, when the YouTube review comes out, you'll see we we'd had a whole bunch of takes trying to say his name, and I just left it in <laughs> because uh, I just uh, Russian's not my thing. But um, yeah, so. These guys, I think Maxim's going to be one of these guys that is, is coming through. Um, and uh, Rashid, he's doing something a wee bit different. So he's uh, there. I mean, I've got things like Albert. So Albert Villa, timepieces is from by the same guy that does uh, Mario, Mario straps. Um, and it's just fun. Mm. Uh, I saw it. It's a yellow. It's like a kind of forties, fifties Art Deco type style. Totally mm-hmm. not my usual thing, and smaller than I would usually go for. I'm usually like forty, forty-one. That's my perfect size. But maybe go up a little bit, but I don't ever go down. 
um, inside. Apart from this one, although it's it's probably a 40 something up the way, but it's really narrow across the way. And it's got hammered gold uh, uh, case, but the dial is like a, it's like a bright yellow, canary yellow, but like a gold cracked glass effect on it. And uh, I just thought it was cool. And it came with, um, he sent three straps with it. Um, one was like, I got him to do a gold stingray. It's so trashy, but it looks amazing. That's interesting. It's, it, it must, it'll be on my Instagram account, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just weird stuff, like really different stuff. I've got a couple of other things I've picked up, diving and uh, I'm trying to think what else. Well, I guess, uh, I guess like when you, so like aside from going for like unique complications or uh, unique individual limited pieces in your own collection, like what specific criteria do you look for? Like you mentioned something like a 40 to 41 millimeter size range, maybe a little bit bigger. Um, like, are you looking primarily for dress pieces? Are you looking primarily for like precious metals? Are you looking, do you get collect a lot of sports pieces? Like what sort of drives you specifically for the type of pieces you would collect and wear on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, nothing or everything is probably the answer. A little bit all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I don't have a, like, one of our clients only collects chronos. Mm. That's his thing. Um, there's others that only want precious metals, so they feel like they've got something on their wrist. Um, yeah, I'm an aesthetics guy. It's all about what it looks like. Do I like it? As I said before, I don't really care what, anybody else really thinks or 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 what anybody else is doing in the market i just make my own mind up so if i like it i like it um if i can afford it i'll buy it mm -hmm. things that really make me tick are you know mbnf debutine you know quite eccentric completely different looking pieces that's mm -hmm. that's really where i'd like to be um there's the new our time uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but fully skeletonized in-house, made by a conglomerate of um, watch-making industry um, specialists. I heard about that, yeah. I did yeah. hear about it. Sort of like a co-op of like people from different parts of the watch industry all coming together just to kind of yeah. offer the best of what they have for their own yeah. kind of collective brand. That's a, that's a really interesting sort of uh, concept. Mm -hmm. And, you know... I'm always on the lookout for what's what's coming next and there's there's some really interesting stuff coming out from the uh watchmaking schools um mm. and uh I mean a couple of them have sent me stuff um to put on our micro brand Monday just to give them a bit of exposure and stuff um and I think they're they're going to do well there's there's a young um female called Shona and she's She's released one called Chemia. Hmm. Um, I think she's going to do well. It's another one. It's out with my budget. It's like 60 odd grand. But um, yeah, that, that's one. And, and another one which is definitely out of my budget is La Bales. I don't know if you've seen that, but they're, I think he's, Alexandra is, uh, he's like a Richard Mille hmm. type price, price range. Um, but 
it's it's exquisite, you know, sapphire case, everything's made in-house. It's gonna take each watch is gonna take a year to make, you know, this sort of thing. Um, but he's gone in with that in mind. I'm gonna make the best possible piece. Hmm. That's a brave move. It's a very brave move. But um, I think he's gonna do well as well. Hmm. So yeah, um that's what I like. What I can afford is a different story. Well, so let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I mean, a lot of the pieces you've described and we've talked about <clears throat> up to this point, uh, you know, they're, they're not necessarily attainable for the average everyday person or the everyday average uh, watch collector, right? I mean, certainly within your clientele, obviously you're able to sell these watches and those are the sort of people that, you know, your brand are, um, your brand is sort of curtailing to, but when it comes to the average, the average everyday person, what are some brands that you think sort of go unnoticed or would be um, offering something exclusive and unique that or limited that maybe would be obtainable for the everyday collector? That's quite a difficult one for me because I'm I'm almost blinkered um, because of what we're doing. So our, the least expensive watch on our available on our site is like, I think, 4,000. Um, so, but that was a that was a a choice as well. That was a decision. We we wanted to keep it medium to high because there's so much below that. Um, it's it's a, I mean Albert Villa, right? That I think that was like I can't even remember how much that was three hundred, four hundred, something like that. Um, that's attainable, I would expect to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, they will make, or yeah, they'll make anything that you ask for. They've got their own limited editions, which um, are available to buy on their website and whatnot. But if you approach uh, them, I'm sure they'll they'll do something. I've actually had that same question from a good five, ten people through Instagram. Hmm. That same question, saying, "These are all great, but." How do I get one of these made for under a thousand dollars, or you know that that sort of thing? And it's difficult because if you want something, you, this is my opinion. If you want something unique, made by hand by a true artisan, do you expect them to work for nothing? That that in my head, that's what I'm thinking. Because how long do you think it takes to build a watch from scratch? A long time, I'd imagine. A year, like you said, at least, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, how intricate is it? What else is involved? If it's just a dial in a case, or maybe a a unique dial in a standard case, maybe with a bit of hand finishing on a ETA movement or whatever, it will obviously be quicker. But you the person who's making it still has to make their living. And I, I I find it quite almost insulting to, to expect somebody to be able to offer like something that they've put their heart and soul into and, and not be able to make any money. It's different when, you know, your, your big brands cast you on Seiko and, and, and there's many, many more that are able to churn out, thousands for for nothing um and then sell them cheap that that's that's fair enough but it becomes i think when whenever you're looking for a a hand-built micro engineered 
piece of wrist wear, um, I think it becomes hard to get below the couple of thousand, really. Like this, if I could sort of change or clarify the question a little bit further, I, I'll kind of do that in a two part in two parts here. For you, what is the delinea delineation between an independent and a micro brand? And how are they sort of how are they sort of separate? And then I guess if I were to go back and re-ask my question, falling more on the micro brand side of things, where perhaps there is, you know, somewhat of an element of like an economy of scale where there are going to be maybe a hundred pieces made or a thousand pieces made or something like yeah. that, but there's still something a little bit more exclusive in that sense where like, you know, you you know, they might do a limited run of a hundred watches in a certain way. So someone can still get something unique and special in that sense. Um, but maybe they're not getting a piece unique or a one of one or a one of five mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, how do I differentiate between micro brand and independence? Mm -hmm. It's a difficult one because, micro well, micro brands are just that. They're just usually one guy trying to make some watches. Um. Mm -hmm. They are by default independent as well, aren't they? So, mm. does that answer that question? And it, it suppose in, independents are independently owned uh, watchmakers who have usually been around for a while, whether in that brand or in another brand or part of another brand watchmaking, gaining their experience. Is that and is that what you're looking for? Well, I'm I'm just more interested in sort of what your opinion is on it, right? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Like, for me, I guess, like, when I look at sort of the difference between a micro brand and a, um, and like an independent, it would be sort of like the example of, you know, you look at like a smaller car company, for example, like Pagani or something like that, right? That's a micro brand. They're still making, you know, a thousand cars or 500 cars or something like that. They're very expensive or they're very unique or something like that. But then, you know, if you wanted to have a custom one of one vehicle made for you or something like that, you're going to go to a custom vehicle maker or a custom shop, right? And that's sort of an independent, right? Like that's really your, like a, I guess it's sort of like an independent to me is like something artisanal, Whereas a micro brand can still be something manufactured just on a small scale. If that mm -hmm. sort of makes sense. Is that, yeah. is that, is that sort I think of, that, yeah, yeah. I, would, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. I also think there's, there's definitely crossover as well because mm -hmm. you're in the, you're, you by default, you have to be independent as a micro brand unless, mm -hmm. because as a micro brand, you're not generally going to be owned by a, a conglomerate or an investment uh vehicle or or whatever so yeah i mean a lot of the i mean the micro brands will make one of one watches some of them mm. if you if you ask um so that's another interesting thing it's just like i mentioned and we talked about uh, pierre dubé before that's a micro brand i would say a micro brand who makes a run of x types of watches or uh, and then I said, could you do this? And he said, yes. And that, mm. that one of one, um, there might be similar dials out there, but the watch is, it is different. Um, mm. And the back's been um, 
the the the, the case back's been engraved in a specific way that's different to the rest of any other ones. Yeah, as well. you took you took off my logo and put your own on it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't actually know. We just put piece unique on it. I think mm. I don't know what we changed, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, was that that was that a dig? <laughs> That's all right. Hey, no, this is your episode, man. We'll talk all about your brand. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the, the whole, the independent thing's a bit weird as well because there's a lot of brands out there that, so we've got a couple on our website that are, some would say, well, they're not independent. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. So Perilay, for, for example, mm. they're owned by, one of the bigger brands. Um, but the reason they're on there is because they operate independently. Mm-hmm. So that kind of knocks that one on the head. And then you've got, there's another one, uh, DIW. And if you look, it looks like they're Rolexes, but they're not selling Rolexes. They're selling their own uh, versions of these watches using the Rolex gubbins effectively mm-hmm. uh, and changing everything else about it so that's why they're in there and um, yeah i think the idea of independent is anything or any company or, or any brand that's not owned by uh, and operated by a, a monster machine and mm-hmm. um, some of them seem to get tucked tucked in or partly consumed or or whatever but we're trying to focus on the ones that are still doing their own thing that that's really the focus mm. and it, it's becoming so as the independent this is again my opinion but i feel that as the independent brands become more visible and well known they're becoming harder to actually acquire mm-hmm. and it means that the brands themselves have to decide or, or and sometimes change how they will, the way they sell. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned earlier, we lost some brands because of the way they were going to the route to the market. And the reason I think that they put them through retailers is that they one know that they're going to sell them immediately because the retailers will buy them. But two, it means that the people who, are successfully selling them get a chance to successfully sell them and mm-hmm. continue to do so so there's some some brands that will only sell exclusively through whichever retailers there there are and those retailers you know will have at least one you know of this tiny little production mm-hmm. um, and then the less the lesser well-known guys that that are out there might not even get a look in mm-hmm. on any of that stock because you can imagine how many physical retailer units there are across the globe and mm-hmm. someone's releasing eight pieces who gets it mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? mm-hmm. who do you choose and and i would probably expect people like urverk and mbnf will will be able to sell these tiny numbers to their existing clients without really trying you know what i mean mm-hmm. there's people there that just yell at it 
<laughs> yeah, but, there's probably there's probably wait lists and people are on wait lists and they don't even know what they're on the wait list for. They just know they're going to buy it as soon as it comes out, right? So it's mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure with brands like that, they don't have a problem moving pieces at all for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I I found so much about this absolutely fascinating. Uh, you know, the the independent side of things. I mean, I've done I've done plenty of episodes with micro brands, but to learn more about independence and kind of um what's out there surrounding that world has been so interesting for me. And and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and talk about it today. Um, you know, I, I like to kind of wrap things up with my show, typically with a question, um, you know, we'll get into kind of plugging all you know, your, your socials and things like that at the end here, but I just, you know, you, you've explained sort of your journey up to this point, the work you've put in the passion, you know, structure and kind of the way your company works and the way about timepieces operates. But what is one thing, I guess, through all of it from the beginning up until now that has surprised you the most about your journey, creating this, this community around independent pieces? Surprised me the most. Mm -hmm. Probably, and it's going to be a ne- it's going to be a negative one, and it's it's uh, how how many dodgy folk are out there, hmm. scammers, scammers. Okay. Um, let me try and look for a positive one. Uh, well, could you expand on that a little bit, just because I feel like that's going to pique people's interest. Like what <laughs> what what is what what about it is is was surprising for you, or what sort of uh, you know, brief experiences have you had that sort of led you to become frustrated with that or surprised you about that? Yeah, no, there's multiple things. It's things that, that go on. It's mainly people trying, people trying to get something for nothing or mm. there's a lot of email. So we're getting a lot of um, uh, ghost, kind of ghost emails from brands. They're not really from brands, but they're, they're they're replicating brands and you know looking for payment of invoices um mm. and all this sort of stuff and uh, people changing like hacking into the the brand's emails and changing bank details and and, and stuff like that and then you've got um on a, a pers- personal well, it's not personal for my front but personalities or personal or people on instagram I want to buy this watch. Uh, but send us this, or here, can you send me a message? Um, I mean, it's just stupid. Can you? The, the the latest one is, can you send me? If I if I can I get Instagram to send you a link to verify you're the owner of the website? I mean, what's it's just insane. And mm. I'm, we're getting bombarded currently with like group requests and and all this sort of oh, stuff. Oh yeah. So I, yeah, Te- it's technology based, but it could cause a lot of problems financially mm-hmm. for the unsuspecting. I mean, I-, I have had a technology background and I'm aware of all these things that's going on, but I think in a high value industry, y- you're you're going to get more of it, really, aren't you? Because uh, if somebody thinks they can scam a 10, 20, 100 grand watch, then they're going to give it a shot. Do you know what I mean? And I think I the more the more successful we get, we're probably going to see uh, increase 
you know? I guess like when there's that kind of money to be made and there's, you know, that sort of opportunity there that's going to attract a certain element by default, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a positive one would be the community specifically in Instagram mm. is great. Mm. The guys who are the true collectors <clears throat> who are on the same journey as me, many of them are on are, are much further in the journey than I am. I mean, mm. some of the guys have got tens, hun- potentially hundreds more watches than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are also as passionate as I am. And you can just tell because the conversations we're having offline is about, oh, this is, you know, I'm getting sent stuff, images of things that you're not, nobody's supposed to see. Mm. And that, but but that also says a lot about my ethical approach to everything else as well, because my lips are sealed. I'm saying nothing about anything unless I'm actually asked to or or uh, yeah, I'm asked to. Or I don't usually say anything that, unless somebody specifically says, "Can you tell people about that?" Um, so yeah, no, that, that's really good. And there's some really good. Some of the watchmakers as well. They see what we're doing, and they're sending images of their new movement. Hmm. You know, it's great because it's like these guys trust trust me to not share it mm-hmm. and we've got other guys there's a couple of them that are on almost every week on follower friday if not every month uh, and they're always sending us sneak shots of their new watch acquisition or or all these sorts of things and i've got one client in in dubai and he he approached us we went through all those bits and pieces and then we I ended up finding that we could do something for him um and uh but it turns out that the, the deal wasn't going to work for him because of the VAT element. So, you know, UK, have, there's a 20% VAT if it comes into the UK um, and, and it just wasn't going to work. And I was like, yeah, you know, and I know so many guys in any business that would be scrambling about to try and, you know, get that back. I don't give a shit. You know what? Because he's already bought a watch from me and mm-hmm. he'll buy another watch later. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't actually, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't phase me in the slightest. I think it's, um, I think it's just a different approach. And mm-hmm. the, pe- the people specifically on Instagram, because I'm, I'm, I mean, Natalie started doing stuff on TikTok. Um, so we're putting things on, but we don't really have that high a following or anything like that. But the Instagram, <clears throat> we've, We've been around for a long time and we've made a lot of friends. Um, and it's the surprising factor is probably that I'm trying to make there is people trust me, but they've never met me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, 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 not quite to the level I think that you're getting them, but I mean, I understand that element of like getting having access to that sort of the inner, the inner workings of the industry a little bit and a little bit more of the inner workings of of the community and the connections that you're making with people. And just, it's sort of one of those communities where it, it sort of just runs on the idea of like, if you're a good dude, you're a good dude and you're in. And if you're not a good dude, you're not in. And that's kind of it. Like it's one of those ones where it's really easy to get your way into the community. But once you breach that trust or, 
lose that trust, then it, you're kind of done. Right. And I think that that's one of the really unique things about this space, just how trusting uh, people can be if, if you sort of demonstrate that you're just a, a decent ethical person and they're willing to sort of just open the doors for you. And I think that that's, that was something I found very surprising as well too. And some of the opportunities that have come my way. And, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that, you know, that's happening to you as well too with uh, about time pieces. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's all, it's all moving in the right direction. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, Gav, it's been awesome chatting with you and and hearing so much about your experiences and about a timepieces or about about timepieces today. Uh, can you um just really quickly kind of name some of the landing spots where people can go and interact with some of your content, uh, where they can find uh, out more information or contact yourself if that's something that they wanted to do. Yeah, sure. I mean, the website is um about dash timepieces dot com, but I think if you type in about timepieces i'm pretty sure we should come up on the search engines pretty much wherever you are um instagram we are about underscore timepieces and youtube is the same as that basically that's probably the, the the main ones if you want to contact us you can probably better just dm in uh, on instagram because <clears throat> i actually do that myself i'm personally answering all the questions and whatnot and if you you feel free to send us an email via the website as well perfect yeah i'll make sure i drop all those landing spots in the description boxes below for this episode um likewise for myself if anyone has any questions comments feedback feel free to shoot me an email at rico's watches podcast at gmail.com additionally if you want to follow along with the show sorry about it central hub uh please head over to instagram just at rico's watches podcast all one word just give me a follow there and uh shoot me a dm if you want to chat at all there as well too i also respond to all my own dms and try to get back to everybody as frequently as i can and as quickly as i can um if you enjoy this episode or any of my other episodes in an audio medium i'd like to enjoy them in a video medium i do offer a video for the podcast on rico's watches podcast uh on youtube just under that name there um yeah Honestly, Gavin, it was so much fun chatting with you today. I really enjoyed learning all about about timepieces and what you're all about. And I really look forward to kind of following along with the journey of uh, the company, uh, enjoying more of the great content and seeing some of the spectacular pieces that uh, you highlight. And and I get to learn more about uh, through your Instagram page and through the journal on your website. Tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, next week's going to be great for content because uh, Watches and Wonders going to be some great stuff to follow along with so i hope uh, people head over there and uh, take a look as well too uh, and see some of that this will be out after watches and wonders but all that content will be there to go back and kind of go and learn some more uh, about some of the cool independence that came out from that gavin thank you so much you have yourself a wonderful day it is uh 4 30 in the morning here over in western canada i know you're probably approaching the afternoon here pretty soon where you are or at least about 10 30 over there yeah. mm-hmm. so um you got the rest of your day to get on with so you take care you have a wonderful day okay thanks very much for inviting me on all right nice and s- likewise and signing 